0: Welcome, you're listening to a podcast by the International Bolshevik Tendency, a Marxist organization fighting for international working class revolution to overthrow global capitalism. We can be found online at bolshevik.org, on Facebook at Bolsheviks, on Twitter and YouTube at ibt1917, and Instagram at Bolsheviks.org. Nineteen seventeen. This talk is entitled Lessons of the Russian Revolution. It was originally delivered by an IBT supporter at Central Connecticut State University, Connecticut on 4 November 2017. So, welcome everybody. Um, I'll be talking for approximately 20 minutes and throughout the speech I will refer to October 25, which was according to the old calendar, then in use in Russia, the the day of the revolution, October 25, or in the new calendar, November 7. So the first successful socialist revolution in history shook the world as the newly born Soviet worker state immediately became a beacon of hope for oppressed people around the planet. And I would argue that despite its subsequent bureaucratic degeneration, The Soviet Union would go on to play a decisive role in shaping global politics until its demise in 1991. And the demonstrated success of Leninism, named after Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, the leader of the Bolshevik Revolution, the demonstrated success of Leninism at that time marginalized a lot of competing currents claiming to offer a revolutionary strategy for overturning capitalism. The victory of Bolshevism confirmed the validity of the Bolshevik approach to revolution. Nothing is more powerful than victory. All the arguments that went before were just words and pamphlets. Once you win, there's nothing more to say, because it's done. That goes in your favor. And history shows that the oppressed will inevitably attempt to assert their own interests against those of declining ruling class. But success is not inevitable. It depends on revolutionary subjectivity, consciousness, mass organization, and tested authoritative leadership. Leaders who willingly who are willing to aggressively pursue the class struggle. And the historical relevance of the Russian Revolution lies in a fact that's not merely historical. The seizure of power demonstrated how revolution can be brought into alignment with the objective conditions. And if humanity is to have a future at all then the Russian Revolution must once again become the opening shot of a worldwide socialist revolution. So in that sense for me Red October is not just a compelling story from the past. It demonstrates how capitalism can be undone and it has all the important lessons for us on how capitalism can be overthrown. So let me start with the February Revolution in 1917. The February Revolution, the immediate precursor to October, was essentially a revolution from below, a semi-spontaneous mass uprising against the effects of the war. And there was no central leadership. However, politics abhor a vacuum and there's no such perpetual leaderless upheaval as some anarchists might think. The Russian masses, who basically dissolved the old regime looked around to see who would take the power. And in the first instance they actually found the bourgeois politicians in the Duma, in the parliament um, whose criticisms of Tsarism had actually become meaningless at that point um, as they developed a role within the Tsar's regime. These people in the bourgeois parliament, they had not wanted the revolution and had in fact been terrified by the events in the streets. But the bourgeois Duma representatives in the Tahrir Palace had state power thrust into their hands by the revolutionary masses at that time. So a bourgeois provisional government was created to pick up the reins dropped by the Tsarist authorities. However, rather than the bourgeois provisional government and the local authorities that supported it, the workers in the factory committees and local Soviets, councils, they actually viewed the executive committee of the Soviets, of their organs, of their representation, um, as the true people who they should ask and be led by and cooperate with. So what developed literally was a dual power situation. For a brief period of time, Both were housed in the same torrid palace, the bourgeois duma and the workers' councils. The bourgeois duma later on moved out of the torrid palace, but we literally had a dual power situation. One, the representatives of the government, still officially in charge, and one, the Soviets, the representatives of the workers, peasants and soldiers. The dual power situation that emerged was inherently unstable, but this contradiction was initially suppressed because the reformist political parties that enjoyed the majority of popular support effectively controlled both bodies and were firmly committed to salvaging capitalism. The provisional government was at first barely more than a fiction, but it was made real by the reformists who joined it in increasing numbers over the following months. In April, Lenin forward what became known as the April Thesis uh, in which he charted a new course for the Bolsheviks. He argued, quote, no support to the provisional government. The utter falsity of all its promises should be made clear, particularly of those relating to the renunciation of annexations. Exposure in place of the impermissible illusion-breeding demand that this government, a government of capitalists, should cease to be an imperialist government. As far as Lenin was concerned, there were too many people who made appeals to the Russian government to stop acting in the interests of the capitalists. And he said, we should no longer do this. This is nonsense. It does not work. This is an imperialist government. And we should treat it as such. And the aim should be to overthrow it. So he went on to say, as long as we are in the minority, as the Bolsheviks were at the time, we carry on the work of criticizing and exposing errors, and at the same time, we preach the necessity of transferring the entire state power to the Soviets of workers' deputies, so that the people may overcome their mistakes by experience. You will notice that Lenin was patient. He realized that they didn't have the majority. All we can do is criticize. That's what he did. Agitate, argue, convince, educate. And he also said that he did not want a parliamentary republic. He said, to return to the parliamentary republic from the Soviets of workers deputies would be a retrograde step. But he wanted a republic of Soviets of workers, agricultural laborers and peasants throughout the country. That was their vision and that set the course for the Bolsheviks for the next few months. So, in fact, the Bolsheviks would not remain a minority for long. As the war dragged on and the living conditions failed to improve, in fact, what worse, the working masses developed a sharper understanding of the political bankruptcy of the moderate socialists. The Bolsheviks, now armed with Lenin's revolutionary orientation to transfer all power to the Soviets, gained ground in the proletariat. More and more workers started supporting the Bolsheviks because they could see their perspective was correct. So, the dual power situation was headed for a decisive resolution. A new authoritative Soviet Congress was scheduled to meet on October 25, with a Bolshevik majority now pledged to transferring all political power into the hands of the workers. The provisional government, an exhausted relic of the February Revolution, would not, however, simply dissolve itself peacefully. So, in September, Lenin had been pushing to seize power but he was met with resistance from many Bolshevik leaders, including some old collaborators, Zinoviev and Kamenev. But on 10th of October, the Bolshevik party leadership voted 10 to 2 to prepare an armed insurrection. The Bolshevik revolution was an armed insurrection, nothing else. So originally proposed by the Mensheviks for the purposes of defending the capital, the Petrograd Soviet created a military revolutionary committee It was led by Trotsky with a Bolshevik majority, but also participation from the left social revolutionaries as well as anarchists. They formed a committee that was charged to prepare the armed insurrection. And it was this committee that actually carried it out, as the historian Carr recounts, he says, In the early morning of October 25, 1917, the Bolshevik forces went into action. The key points of the provisional government were occupied. The members of the provisional government were prisoners or fugitives. In the afternoon, Lenin announced to a meeting of the Petrograd Soviet the triumph of the workers' and peasants' revolution. In the evening, the second All Russian Congress of Soviets proclaimed the transfer of all power throughout Russia to Soviets of workers, soldiers, and peasants' deputies. On the evening of October 26, The second and last meeting of the Congress adopted the decrees on peace and on the land and approved the composition of the Council of People's Commissars, the first workers and peasants' government. At this point, the scene in the Torred Palace in the Soviet was quite tumultuous as the Mensheviks and the social revolutionaries walked out. And I want to highlight this fact because on the day that the workers seized power... The moderate socialists actually leave the organs of workers' rule. I'm highlighting this because bourgeois politicians, historians, often portray the Bolshevik revolution as they seized power and then established a nasty one-party state. The truth is that the moderate socialists walked out of the Soviets. That is what happened. Because they were opposed to the revolution. Lenin read a draft resolution, I don't want to read all of it, um, but the important part is that he called for, he proposed to all the warring people, we're talking about the First World War, of course, all the warring people and their governments to open immediate negotiations for a just democratic peace. Just conditions exclude annexations and indemnities. And it was added, on its part, the Soviet government abolishes secret diplomacy and undertakes to publish the secret treaties concluded before October 25. Everything in those treaties, directed towards the accruing of profit and privilege to the Russian landlords and capitalists and the oppression of other people by the great Russians, the government declares unconditionally and immediately annulled. This was unheard of. There was a government that said, We are for peace, right now, without any annexations. We will publish all secret treaties, because these were done by the capitalists. This is not our government, this is not our treaty. We have nothing to do with this. They are worthless now, because we have a new rule, we have a working class rule. So, it was the lowest of the low. The works and poor peasants of the backward Tsarist empire that had taken a broom to their king and capitalists and landlords sweeping them from the stage of history. It almost seemed impossible before it happened. And now it was a reality. Of course, the October Revolution was not just a Russian affair. Because on the streets of Petrograd, Russian workers revealed to humanity how capitalism would be undone. How much time do I have left? you have more time so let me talk a little bit about the lessons of October the dual power of 1917 was initially based on the underdeveloped political consciousness of the masses they supported the reformist socialists but in that period of war and revolution the wants and needs of the working class underwent rapid change combined with the political bankruptcy of the Mensheviks and social revolutionaries, this provided the framework in which the Bolsheviks' ideological work amongst the masses took place. It's an important characteristic of a proletarian revolution that the process of transferring power from the bourgeoisie to the proletariat relies decisively on conscious human intervention. And in the lessons of October, Trotsky summed up the principal lessons of the past decade as follows. Quote, Without a party, apart from a party, over the head of a party, over the substitute for a party, the proletarian revolution cannot conquer. So you might say he was a bit biased towards parties. And I agree with him on that because that was a key component of the success of the Bolsheviks, that they organized the strength of the working class, united in one party, the Bolshevik party, which was able to strike against the capitalists and deal with such a blow that this regime was shattered and the doors were opened for the workers to rule. Without that force combined in a party, it would not have happened. That is the key lesson of the Bolshevik revolution. The first step towards the creation of this party actually occurred in 1903, when the Bolsheviks and Mensheviks split ostensibly over commitment required for membership. But the development of the Bolshevik wing foreshadowed the theoretical elaboration of the Leninist Vanguard Party, the idea that revolutionaries must be united in one party. And that they are organized with discipline to carry out the Marxist program. After the different social democratic governments, um, or social democratic parties, I should say, at the beginning of the war, supported their own national bourgeoisies in the First World War, supported their own fatherland against the neighboring countries. Lenin and Coffingers realized that it was necessary to break with these kind of socialists. Socialists who side with their own bourgeoisie against the workers in the neighboring country. He realized that those kind of parties who allow that to happen are useless, no matter how much they claim to represent the working class. They are, in fact, part of the problem. So Lenin and Zinoviev, in a joint pamphlet, Socialism and War, explained that it was actually required to split the workers' movement in order to separate revolutionaries from those reformists who want to follow their own bourgeoisie and who de facto let millions of workers into the slaughter of the First World War. And they wrote, in the past epoch, before the war, although opportunism was often regarded as a deviationist, extremist part of the Social Democratic Party, it was nevertheless regarded as a legitimate part. The war has shown that this cannot be so in the future. Unity with the opportunists actually means today subordinating the working class to its national bourgeoisie, alliance with it for the purpose of oppressing other nations and of fighting for great power privileges. It means splitting the revolutionary proletariat in all countries. Hard as the struggle may be in individual cases against the opportunists who predominate in many organizations and peculiar as the process of purging the workers' parties of opportunists may be in individual countries, this process is inevitable and fruitful." He was very clear about the fact that revolutionaries had to organize separately from those who side with their own bourgeoisie. And once again, if the Bolsheviks had still been unified with the Mensheviks in 1917 and placed that unity... Above the need for revolutionary clarity, there would have been no October Revolution. This political lesson was so obvious that the Bolsheviks, in collaboration with co-thinkers in several other countries, were able to win millions of workers to the project of the Communist Third International in the hope of replicating the victory of the October Revolution. Unfortunately, they were not successful in doing so. To conclude my remarks, I want to talk just for a moment about today, because obviously it's 100 years later, almost to the day. So even today, the root causes of economic inequality and other forms of oppression lie not in the shortcomings of individuals or groups, but in the fundamentals of the capitalist system. It is estimated that just 8 men now own as much wealth as the bottom half of the entire global population. More than 3.6 billion people. 8 people own as much as 3.6 billion people. Those 3.6 billion people have to manage to live on less than 2.5 dollars a day. That is the situation one hundred years after the Russian Revolution. Thousands of people die every day from starvation or complications related to malnutrition. Despite the fact that humanity produces enough food to feed or could feed the entire global population. (coughs) And imperialist military interventions across the globe since the fall of the Soviet Union have resulted in millions of deaths. So, I am certain that revolutionary situations will arise in the future. And revolutionary organizations will undoubtedly play a role in influencing those. But it is a necessity for Marxist leadership to turn these revolutionary situations into proletarian seizures of power. Victory is not inevitable. Victory depends on us, on conscious Marxist leadership. And that is the fundamental lesson of the October Revolution. Trotsky observed in a transitional program the historical crisis of mankind, of humanity, you would say today, is reduced to the crisis of revolutionary leadership. Thank you.